Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by Mr. Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter. And Chris, we have... Through all, through it all, through the ups and downs, through the challenges, through the bubble, through just about everything that has gone on since uh, May or June, uh, the NBA has crowned a champion, and uh, it's the same champion it's crowned four times in the former LeBron James, but a new champion um, within the last what ten years or so for the yeah. Lakers. Yeah. yeah. So last decade. The Los Angeles Lakers, your 2020 NBA champions. And um, I want to get your thoughts on this first because I obviously watched towards the end. I didn't watch the whole game last night. I was busy. I was getting home from the Browns game, which kind of overlapped. But And you were at the Browns game as well. What were you? Were you working? I saw you had a backpack. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I spotted for the national radio broadcast on Sports USA. Okay. Just for fun. Well, I mean, I obviously got paid, but yeah, they yeah. reached out to me and they asked me um, a couple of weeks ago if I would be interested. So I did that game. It was um, Browns against the Washington football team. And they thought I did such a good job. They invited me back and they're going to put my name um, on their list of, of people when they come into town to do more Browns games. And they're probably going to come in and do more Browns games because... They're probably going to be one of the national stories throughout the course of the year, especially if they keep playing this well. Um, I mean, they look every bit like a for real playoff team, so it could happen again. I could see you at uh, First Energy Stadium down the road. Well, again, this this was my first game actually covering the game for covering the team at the uh, at the stadium. So you know, obviously with um, the expanded. Uh, fans with 12,000 fans with the, with the expanded press box. Maybe I'll be back. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. counting on it. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely different yesterday. It was good to be there, though. Um, but back quickly, because we could talk Browns all day, I suppose, but this is not a Browns podcast. Um, getting back to the uh, the Lakers, the one thing that I noticed yesterday um, was that these guys treated it, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not as meaningful for LeBron because LeBron has been there four times, and um, you know, he obviously his most meaningful championship ever will be with the Cleveland Cavaliers, no matter what he does in L.A. Um, but Anthony Davis, when 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 it when he started crying and it hit me, yep. that these guys, this isn't some asterisk championship. I mean, maybe for fans, you can call it that. But these guys really they really felt it. They really, you know, went through it and they sacrificed a lot to get to this point where they could crown a champion. Yeah, like, man, that wasn't a fake trophy that was handed no. out to them at the end of that one, right? That wasn't fake confetti that was falling from the ceiling. That wasn't fake champagne. That was real. Um, and I, we talked about this, um, I, I can't remember when, but it, but it was earlier in the podcast. Um, this was, to me, forget the asterisk, this was one of the most difficult championships to win. Yeah, and we definitely discussed there. that. 
you can sit there and you can say, well, the road that the Lakers took wasn't that difficult because they didn't have to face the Los Angeles Clippers. And then in the NBA Finals, they faced off against a hobbled Miami Heat team that was less than 100%. Dragic wasn't healthy. Bam Adebayo wasn't right even when he came back from the shoulder and neck injury. Um, sure, you can say those things. But but if you're going to do that, if that's the stance that you're going to take, then you have to go through the rest of the championships in NBA history and look at those paths too. The Golden State Warriors are incredible. You can't take anything away from their dynasty but some people would start to look at the road that they took and some of the breaks that they got en route to an NBA championship and, and start to question it. I feel like you can do that, Hayden, with every single championship that has ever been won in NBA history. You can do the yeah, but stuff. And I just don't think that's right to do in this kind of situation. Um, these guys dealt with a lot throughout the course of the season. If you talk about the Lakers, the death of Kobe Bryant, Right, coming together as a team with Anthony Davis, trying to integrate him, seeing what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Um, having the season shut down for a brief time once, then having it nearly shut down again after the Jacob Blake protests. Um, staying in a bubble for such a long time, away from family. Uh, the mental challenge that that takes on you. If you think about these guys, when they get into the postseason, Hayden, Things are so tough. It is so mentally exhausting. And most of these guys will use their family as an outlet, their family as an escape. And they didn't have the family to lean on. So given the state of the country, given um, all of what the Lakers had to deal with throughout the course of the season um, up until now, like I don't think you can put an asterisk on this. If anything, I think you look at it and say this was – one of the most unique championships of all time and one of the toughest ones for the Lakers and LeBron to get because of all of the circumstances surrounding it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you can obviously make the argument we've talked, you know, for Cavaliers fans that are listening. I mean, obviously we've talked about the first Golden State championship where you had no Kevin Love, you had Kyrie with a broken kneecap after the first game. Sure. Um, you know, you could go revisionist history there. Uh, but I think even more so than that, you look at a team like the Clippers, you look at a team like the Rockets, um, you look at all the teams that didn't make it. I, I, I see that as, okay, well, the Lakers had the mental wherewithal and had the fortitude to to find a way through this like very tough environment and very tough situation. And I think that absolutely makes them as worthy as anybody of, you know, of a legitimate championship. Whereas maybe the Clippers, you know, you say, oh, well, the Clippers had a, you know, the Clippers weren't there, the Lakers had an easy road. Um, mm -hmm. Well, maybe they just weren't as focused and weren't as, you know, maybe they exactly. allowed the outside stuff to get to them more so. So I think the Lakers definitely deserve some credit for just battling through everything that they had to battle through. And as you mentioned, without your family and your friends there, I mean, obviously your friends, your teammates, but um, it does. It did take a lot. I'm sure I wasn't in the bubble, but I'm sure that um, it's it, it was very from home and to be away from the comforts of your own house and the way, you know, and the way things usually are in your own facility, um, mm -hmm. it had to have taken a toll. Yeah, I mean, like so many people in the aftermath of this whole thing, Hayden, are starting to rank LeBron's championships. And again, I think it's a fool's errand, but for sake of argument, obviously the championship in Cleveland is always going to be LeBron's crowning achievement. That was mm -hmm. delivering on a promise. That was the Cavs. 
all of the factors that went into that, including the fact that they rallied from 3-1 and it had never been done before. And it was against the mighty Golden State Warriors, a record-setting regular season team. That's obviously always going to be number one for LeBron. Uh, That's, for some people, the moment that he passed and became the quote-unquote GOAT. Um, But this championship in Los Angeles is going to rank very, very high when you start uh, looking at LeBron's resume. And part of it has to do with the fact that the franchise that he won it for, like they had been a doormat for 10 years after Kobe Bryant. And he took and an during iconic... Kobe Bryant. What's that? And during Kobe Bryant. Yeah. For the later years of Kobe, yeah. there were nothing. Right. Um, and, and he took this iconic franchise and he made it respectable again after uh, two years of being there. Um, so when you combine that with all the other factors that we already talked about, um, and LeBron being in year 17 and LeBron having doubters, not, not that everybody doubted him, but had doubters about whether he could still perform at this level, uh, whether Anthony Davis was ready for this kind of challenge on the biggest stage, whether Frank Vogel was the right head coach. Right, whether the supporting cast around LeBron was good enough, um, we can't pretend that those questions didn't exist. Right, they did exist, and um, despite all of that, in a year that that LeBron and the Lakers, as an organization, had to overcome so much, including a pandemic, uh, this is going to be really, really high on that list of of LeBron's greatest achievements. And, I and look, I mean, like the first one that he won in Miami is going to be high too, obviously, because that's when he learned how to be a champion. But but this one's going to be this one's going to be up there. I'm telling you. So the, I mean, there's well, there's only four of them. So I mean, this is probably second. This is probably second. Yeah, I was about to say like, okay, the Cavs will always be number one, and then I think the second championship in Miami will always be the last one. Yeah, probably. So then you're flipping between two and three. Which one was the bigger one? The first one in Miami, the first one in L.A. And that's a good question. That's a that's an argument for, you know, another day for sure. That's I mean, you know, the one in Miami obviously coming off of a really, really poor performance uh, against the Dallas Mavericks the year before. Kind of the choking thing um, came back and almost did it again, (laughs) to be (laughs) fair. But um it's it was definitely a a big moment for LeBron and uh, it, I I don't know I don't know what I would put two or three. Well, look, I mean, a lot of people will say the Miami one because that was the first one. Yeah, that's that's fair. when he became a champion for the first time. That's when he learned. Well, he took all of the things that he had learned throughout the course of of his NBA career to that point, um, including learning lessons from his losses, and became a champion. It's just like the circumstances surrounding this one, I I think make it a little bit um, make it a little bit more meaningful that, than maybe people would think because it's just number four. You know what I mean? It's not like number six to tie Michael. For for some people, it's it's just number four. Um, but but I think again, uh, it, it's it's much deeper than that when it comes to LeBron. And I think I think so, too. And I mean, this during I think it was yesterday, actually, that he tied. I don't know who he tied for the most playoff games played. Uh, I don't remember. 
I don't Kareem, know. maybe? Maybe Kareem. But he's now number one in scoring in postseason history, as he was when he was in Cleveland. Um, he's now number one in postseason games played. And he's in year 17. He's 35 years old. He's won four championships. He has four finals MVPs. I mean, and four regular MVPs. Um, it's just, uh, we don't have to have the GOAT argument because I just think it's fascinating that he doesn't even seem like he's slowing down, really. I mean, he, this NBA Finals, I think he's he had not. at least a double-double He had at least a double, double in every game. He was close to a triple-double in every game. Like, an amazing series, 20, 20, 25, 26 points a night. Um, yeah. Just completely dominated. And at 35 years old, when you just think, oh, well, you know, he probably should be on the, you know, lower slope of his or lower slope of the hill. And instead, he's just continuing to do what he does and has always done. And that's exactly why he said last night during his uh, during his interview with Rachel Nichols in ESPN, like, I just want my damn respect. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't blame him. (laughs) Who do you think that was targeted to? Oh. That's a good question. Um, or like, what do you think prompted that? I think, well, I think what prompted it was like the, the. I think he was talking about Anthony Davis first, right? I mean, or the or the Lakers franchise, maybe. He was okay. talking about Rob Polinka. Yeah. He was talking about Anthony Davis. He was talking about the Lakers as a whole. But, I mean, obviously he finished it the way that he did, and he always thinks these things through. And I'll say calculated, even though that has a negative connotation usually. It just means well thought out in in a general sense. Um, He's very, very calculated in everything that he does and everything that he says. So it was was directed at somebody, or it was said for a reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, with the recent war of words, it could have been Kyrie, it could have been Michael, like, I don't know, or it could have been the fans, it could have been the media, it could have been, you know, he did, I think Rachel Nichols asked him about, um, I think he, she, she either asked him about the greatest of all time or like, you know, is this the greatest, that was the question, it was like, is this the greatest prime ever of any athlete? Long and he this. said, well, I'll let the media, I'll let you guys talk about that. I'm just, you know, here to be available for my teammates. Yeah. Um but which I mean, what do you think? I, I, we we don't know, obviously, but is it like a hype? We could just throw some throw things out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part of it. I think part of it is this this belief that is out there uh, currently, and it's been out there for a long time, that it almost doesn't matter what LeBron does. Right. Um, he's not going to be able to pass Jordan. There are some people that just like put Jordan on this pedestal, it's almost like he's more than a basketball player. He's kind of a deity. Um, and I, I think that's part of it. That, that I mean, no matter that's fair, but I think that's fair, but LeBron is too, though. But no, he's not. No, not at all. I he's not more than a basketball player? No, he's absolutely more than a basketball player. But it's like, because Jordan has this aura around him, it's like that aura in a way won't allow anybody to have a conversation in some cases about anybody being better than him that's what i'm talking about yeah okay that's fine like he's this untouchable god in the pantheon of legends in in basketball and and i don't think lebron is viewed that way and it's baffling to me 
that somebody that has accomplished as much as LeBron has accomplished, both on the court and off the court, um, it, it's baffling to me. I, I've never seen a player that is this this talented, this accomplished, um, have so many doubters and haters. Yeah. I mean, usually when it comes to sports, we're quick to elevate guys, right? Maybe even too quick to elevate these guys to, to this new standard, to this new level. And yet here's LeBron, and it's almost like because Jordan has this aura around him and because people have this long belief of Jordan that has lasted 30 years, that there's nothing LeBron can do to enter that conversation for some. I'm not saying for everybody, but for some. And I think it's ridiculous. I think it's really close-minded. And I think that's kind of who he was targeting and what drove this kind of thing. And I especially, yes. especially Hayden, on the heels of the Game 5 thing where people were ripping him for passing once again. Right. And you wrote about that. You wrote a you yep. wrote an article for Cleveland.com. Go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs, and you will see it. Um, LeBron's always been ripped for passing, which I don't understand. It's stupid. It's He's always been ripped for passing enough for not being clutch and for not, like, taking the last shot. I mean, and he's said, we've said it time and time again, it's because he's making the right basketball play. It's because he's instilling trust in his guys. It's because, you know, he has faith and, you know, if he's going to be in a in an arena with somebody, he needs to know that they can clutch up and, and, and you know, make the shot at some point. But also the last year in Cleveland, I mean, we were both witness to it in person. Like there it was it was clutch shot after clutch shot for LeBron in that postseason. So I don't know where that where that comes from. And then I don't understand where the oh well Kobe and Michael would have never um would have never passed. Yeah, because they never passed in general. Why would they do but something they did. than what they well, of course they did, but I'm saying in general there there were more volume than than LeBron has ever been. Sure, but in saying that in some really, really important moments, they did what superstars do. They empowered and trusted their teammates. Right. Like, this isn't golf here. <laughs> this, this isn't tennis. This is a team sport. Like, Kobe decided to pass to Derek Fisher in a very, very important moment in overtime. He passed to Meta World Peace for a huge three in Game 7 of the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. Jordan passed to John Paxson and Steve Kerr because that's what great players do. Like, there isn't some unwritten rule that the superstar, the best player on the team, has to take the final shot. Their responsibility in that moment, Hayden, hasn't changed. It's the same thing. It's create the best possible opportunity for my team. Sometimes that means shooting, right? And LeBron has done that plenty of times. But sometimes that means reading the defense seeing that you have an open teammate, seeing that that's a higher percentage shot than what you can get yourself, and deferring. And a lot of guys have have been able to become champions um, in part because they were willing to, to make that kind of play. I mean, if Danny, if, it's funny. I mean, we talked to, we talked about, you know, we've talked to Tito over the years about this and like, he always says, well, if, you know, if it works, you're a genius. And if it doesn't, you're an idiot. Well, yeah, I can. I think that's the same thing with LeBron. If LeBron passes Danny Green, who is wide open for three, and he makes it, 
then, oh, well, LeBron is, you know, the king and he makes a great play and he wins the finals because he's so smart. He's got such a great IQ and he misses. He's like, why would you ever trust Danny Green? You know, you should be taking that shot. You know, I mean, it's just the, it's an it's almost a no win situation. And, and that's amazing to me that we put this player into that kind of situation where we're having those kinds of conversations. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. Like, why would you want him to take on four defenders and take that shot? Why is that a better option than getting Danny Green a wide-open three when he's a career 40% three-point shooter, was two of four uh, from three-point range on the night, and is a career 39% uh, three-point shooter in the postseason? Like, that's why he was signed there. That's why yeah. he was subbed in the game for moments like that. And and if LeBron doesn't make those kinds of plays, that's a win for the defense. I, I don't know what the percentage is on LeBron hanging in the air against four players without an angle. Like, could he make that shot? Of course. He's LeBron. He does the improbable all the time. But but are you telling me that that is a better option than a wide-open three-pointer from um, maybe the second-best three-point shooter on that roster? Like, come on. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest here. Let's be realistic. And, and we can't just – we can't just rewrite the, the story because we don't like the ending, right? We can't just change the game, the rules of the game, because the players are different. Right. And I think part of it, obviously, is, you know, it's it's our job. I mean, not our job, but I mean, some of these talk show hosts, some of these, you know, the the, the big names out there, we all know them and I'm not going to mention them. But I mean, they, it's their job to get people to come back and be divisive and, and to, you know, even on their own shows to be divisive towards their partners or just say things to say things to get people to riled up and you know, maybe they are at the point, some of them, that they actually believe what they're saying because they're yeah, so ingrained in it. But it's, it's some of it is just pure fodder. I mean, again, I, I think there are some, Hayden, that truly believe it. Really? Like, tr- yeah. well, like truly believe that LeBron should have... Are we talking yes. about just that play or just in general, like LeBron Just is in not. general, but even that play. Yeah. Well, the, in general, and that's what we were discussing before, it's like, what what about LeBron is, I mean, I, I was seeing a certain guy on Twitter, and I won't mention his name, but he's, he's worked here in Cleveland, and I think he's from here, um, talking about how LeBron is always the first to, to tell you how good he is and how much of a victim he is and all this. And it's like, what, what about LeBron is, like, so polarizing? Like, yeah. obviously, leaving Cleveland was a polarizing decision, and leaving Cleveland was something that hurt a lot of people and very deeply. But also, he came back. He delivered on his promise. He acknowledged he made mistakes. Dan Gilbert acknowledged he made mistakes. Like, aren't we past that? Aren't we past that level of, of okay, it went badly. They both acknowledged it. Well, let's move on. Is that, that can't be the only reason that people are still hating on LeBron. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you. It's it's one of the most baffling things to me. Um, I think there are going to be so many people, Hayden, when LeBron isn't playing at this level anymore, um, that are going to sit there and say, 
why did I spend so much time hating slash criticizing this player? Why didn't I just enjoy the greatness more? Do you think a lot of, do you think some of it could be like the fans of other teams? Like say, say, say you're not a Cavs fan, a Lakers fan, a Heat fan, and you're a Bucks fan or you're, you're a Sixers fan or you're a Celtics fan. And you just get so sick of him beating up on you every year that it just, it, you really do hate him. Yeah, look, I mean, I get well. it. Like, I get why Atlanta Hawks fans despise him, <laughs> right? right? Like, it makes makes a lot of sense. I get why Indiana Pacers fans probably do as well. Um, how many times did they lose to him in the postseason? He destroyed that franchise. He, like, made them tear each other apart. Uh, that's what he does. Like, he leaves, he leaves broken teams behind. Um that's a big part of his story. That's a big part of his legacy is that all of these teams look at what they have and say, we're not good enough because of that dude. So they dismantle their roster and they try and rebuild a team that, that can get past him. Uh, so that's a huge part of his legacy. So those fan bases, sure, I get it. It makes a lot like Toronto has every reason in the world oh, yeah. to dislike him. Like, my God. They named it Lebronto because he was owning them so much. But but I mean, that that's just that's just reality of sports. You're going to have that. That's called, quote unquote, sports hatred. And that exists no matter who the guy is. Uh, but but in a general sense, which is yeah. what we're talking about, that's the one that to me is more baffling. Yeah. And I don't have an answer either. Uh, maybe if you guys do out there, if you're listening tweet at us or something. I think for the most part, Cleveland is pretty pro LeBron after he won the title and all that he's done for, you know, I, with the I promise school and everything that he's helped with the Northeast Ohio. Um, I think they're pretty pro LeBron. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Sure. So like after maybe he won the championship. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe it's something that, you know, that goes beyond, a place where obviously he's beloved that he's from. Maybe Cleveland's not the best place to get that answer because we don't seem to understand it either. I do want to mention, though, um, speaking of Cleveland, a couple of former Cleveland Cavaliers uh, won an NBA title last night, including Danny Green that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was – Deion Waiters did not suit up, I believe, and J.R. Smith had his shirt off, like, yeah. almost before the uh, clock hit zero. Yeah. Um, Crazy for them. I mean, just crazy that they were in that position. J.R. Smith probably. You think J.R. Smith would have been in that position if if not for Avery Bradley? No. Yeah. No chance. Yeah. So I mean, how crazy? I mean, look. This this goes back to the whole thing we've talked about when it comes to LeBron. Not all championships are equal. There are right. some that are just more meaningful. Well, not all rings. Yes, J.R. Smith technically is a two-time NBA champion. And, you know, he had a role on the team. Everybody in a championship organization has a role, even if we don't see it um, when it comes to game day. It might be behind the scenes, right? It might just be on the practice court. Um, It might be a role that they play, um, keeping guys together or making them a little bit more loose rather than uptight. Who knows? So, you know, Jr. had some role on the Lakers, but, but you know, two-time champion 
is is a little deceiving in this conversation, I'd say. There was also another there was also another funny thing that I saw last night. Um, <laughs> so I felt bad for Magic fans. Somebody's like, Dwight Howard finally got his ring in Orlando. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> just for the wrong team. He's I mean, he seemed to be very excited too. He seemed to be pretty emotional about it. Um, you know, he act in the locker room after the game, he was on Instagram Live kind of letting his feelings go and said, you know, this is why you don't give up on yourself. This is why mm-hmm. you don't give up. I mean, there was a time where Dwight Howard, we thought, well, I mean, he was in Atlanta. What were, was he in Charlotte or who at wherever else he was? And he just did not, did not seem like he was going to continue to, you know, play. And the Lakers gave him a chance and he ended yep. up having a bigger role. He actually did play and played pretty well. Yeah. And kudos to him. Like sometimes, Hayden, it, it is tough for guys who are once stars or future Hall of Famers to accept a role that is lesser than what they think they deserve. And and usually what they feel like they deserve stems from their past and what they've already accomplished in their career. Sometimes it's hard for these guys to have that epiphany of, like, I'm not that player that I once was. I need to come off the bench, right? Or I need to be in a big man rotation where I'm not getting as many minutes consistently as what I was used to. Uh, Some guys don't ever accept that. Some guys don't ever see the light and they don't make that sacrifice. They're not willing to. Um, Dwight was willing to make that sacrifice. Dwight had an honest approach about what he was capable of, about who he was at this point in his career and, and what kind of organization he needed to be a part of. And so I give him a lot of credit. And one of the biggest things uh, when it came to the Lakers is is their ability, Hayden, to play every style, right? If they had to play big with Dwight, they were able to play big with Dwight. If they had to downsize and go with Markeith Morris against a team like the Houston Rockets, um, then they were able to do that as well. Uh, But they wouldn't have been able to play as big, as long, as well, have somebody like Dwight. Absolutely. Also, I was just thinking about it. You know, you were talking about some rings aren't cre- created equal. You had, um, you had Dion Waiters. You had uh, J.R. Smith. You also had the uh, the Antetokounmpo brother. So yeah, Giannis, not right. the first Antetokounmpo. I saw him in the was background the, holding up the flag. The Nasus? Yeah. You saw him in the background what? He was holding up a flag. There you go. He was so, repping. The first Antetokounmpo brother. It reminds me of the... Uh, Cavaliers, the uh, the one NBA champion Timofey Mozgov, NBA champion Sasha Khan, NBA champion Dante Jones. <laughs> I think Jordan McRae was an NBA champion too. Yes. I think he was on that team, yeah. right? Yep, Jordan McRae, NBA champion for sure. <laughs> for sure. Just hey, you know what? As you said, everybody has some sort of a role, and uh, LeBron wins his fourth championship. AD wins his first. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to end this conversation about you know the Lakers and their championship without AD because you know as I mentioned, he was such a crucial part of that team, and um, his first NBA championship seemed to take a really emotional toll on him. I mean, he's finally. I think he's going to start getting the respect that he deserves. And as LeBron mentioned, just an incredibly talented player and a guy that really fits well with LeBron. Also, I would say this, Hayden. Um, this is why bad teams often tank. Now, uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to make a trade for somebody like Anthony Davis, right? A lot of things had to happen for him to get to Los Angeles. In saying that, the Lakers had to be positioned um, 
to be able to uh, trade for somebody like that. And not every team is positioned that way. It, it takes years of acquiring assets. And that means young players. That means draft picks. And oftentimes that means high draft picks so that the young players are more alluring. Like, how did the Houston Rockets get James Harden the same kind of way? So I think this NBA Finals shows that there's, and we talked about this, I believe, on the last podcast, Aiden, there's no right way to build something. Um, For some teams, it's about the situation that they're in. Like, you can't sit there. So a lot of people are talking about the Miami Heat way. If, If you're a team, say... I'm trying to think of which team this. Okay, let's say you're Atlanta, right? You're not a hot destination for free agents necessarily. You don't have LeBron to attract some of these guys to your organization. Are you going to sit there and tell the Atlanta Hawks, like, okay, try and win 30, 35 games, grow organically, and, you know, hit on a pick between 15 and 20? that's going to help you get to the next level. You're going to tell them to do that. Right. Like that's essentially what the Miami Heat did. They were a mediocre team. They were just barely above 500 strong organization, really, really smart people in that building. Uh, They made some really good draft picks, but they had an all NBA player in his prime go sign with them. Right. So, if, if you're not a team that can attract that kind of guy that way, how are you supposed to do it? What are you? I don't know that you can. It's I just mean, there's no cookie cutter way to do it. That's, no, that's what I'm saying. So, like, if the Lakers didn't lose for all those years and get Lonzo in the draft and Brandon Ingram in the draft, do they have AD right now? Probably not. Probably I mean, not. you look at. You look at the Knicks, and I feel like the Knicks are a great example of that. You know, a team that tried to tank and then just has not worked for them. Like, and that should be a place where they should be able to attract a, a big free agent, and they should be able to attract, you know, you know, somebody that's in their prime. I mean, that's that's a, that's a bad. You know, the basketball mecca, as LeBron always says, and you know, instead they go out and they trade Kristaps, and it just it it's, a, it's been a disaster for them. It has, and a big part of that is self-inflicted well, because yeah. of the organization itself and because of the turnover that they've had in that organization and now how that organization is viewed because of those failures. Um, but I think for, for teams Lakers, like it makes sense to stockpile assets to be prepared in case this opportunity arises. Yeah, the Cavaliers certainly did that. I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, they sure. lucked out having getting LeBron. You know, having LeBron there, but they were ready to for the Kevin Love deal. They were they right. they were ready. Right, and part of the reason why LeBron went to LA is because he looked at the assets that they had and said, "Hey, look, this is my route uh, to get another star player to play next to me. These are the kinds of pieces that it takes to pull off those kinds of trades." And I think part of the reason why LeBron was willing to come to the Cavs is a similar kind of reason. He was like, hey, look, yes, they have Kyrie. They have these young pieces. 
But if, if I want LaMarcus Aldridge or I want Carmelo Anthony in a trade or if I want Kevin Love in a trade, like the components are already there in Cleveland to pull that off. And again, it's not going to happen for every team. And there's no guarantee that it ever happens. But that's why you try and put yourself in that position. That's why you're willing to go through the dark times and pile up the young players and the draft picks in the future. Amen. Amen. All right. That ties a bow on the 2020 NBA season, which was just thoroughly insane from the coronavirus hitting that jazz game. I mean, just thoroughly. There are no words to describe it, really. Just absolutely unbelievable. But now we enter an even, well, not even even crazier, but a very crazy offseason in which now free agencies push back. Now the NBA drafts push back. We don't even have a start date for the next uh, season to start. So what is the timeline here for the Cavaliers? What is the timeline for the NBA in general? Boy, it's so hard to gauge. Uh, look, it's it's not going to be. All right, so let's start here. The NBA draft is November 18th. Yep. It seems like that is set in stone. Um Free agency isn't going to happen until after that. Uh, and then the start of next season is going to be no earlier than January. I think the way to phrase it is this. It seems like the league is hoping uh, that it's going to be a January start for next season. But the league is also flexible um, given the virus, given what happens over the next couple of months, given how negotiations go between the league and the player side and, and what they determine is the best course moving forward. Um, I think there's some flexibility that they'd be willing to start it later than January if they have to. They want fans and arenas. That's They're true. not going to do it. They're not going to do it if, if it's going to make everybody uncomfortable and, and put these guys in a dangerous, unsafe situation. But I think everybody would admit that it's best uh, for all of these organizations and the league as a whole to get fans back in the arena. I think 40 to 45 percent of the revenue comes from fans and ticket sales and merchandise and concessions. And having fans in the arena is better for everybody. Um, And I think if they have to delay the start of the season to February or March for that to happen, I think they'd absolutely be willing to do that. So the Cavaliers, if, I mean, conceivably, the Cavaliers could go a full calendar year without playing an NBA game. Yep. Which is unbelievable. But also in 2020, what's not unbelievable? So um, with Andre Drummond and with some of these decisions to be made, um, so now Tristan Thompson's a free agent. Correct. Matthew Delvadova is a free agent. Yep. Andre Drummond is not a free agent because there's – uh, he has that player option. I mean, technically he is. Technically, but he's going to likely take. When 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 can when does he have to take that by? So we don't know yet. That date okay. has changed because yeah. these other off-season dates have also changed. So right. I think Hayden, when free agent decided, and they have the official date on that, then we'll get an official official date on on when Drummond has to make the decision. Um, but look, in this climate. Somebody that has an opportunity to make $28.7 million, um, that's a no-brainer to me. Right. And as, as much as Drummond is, is playing the leverage game and he's playing it coy, 
the uh, this often comes down to a business decision and there's no way that he's recouping 28 million dollars by opting out of his contract right do you i mean so for the cavaliers essentially and for all nba teams essentially um it's going to be pretty quiet until draft time yeah i think what needs to happen though is a lot of these teams need to figure out if they're going to be a tax team in this new climate and and where the salary cap goes so that to me is the most important number that hangs over this offseason is where does the cap fall and and where does the luxury tax fall because if it drops from initial projections teams that felt like they or teams that had planned to be out of the luxury tax might be in the luxury tax right I think the NBA wants to avoid that. So I think that's why the negotiations between the players and the league are going to be fascinating to see where they come out on that. Um, But there are teams that are going to have to make probably a handful of financial decisions in this climate that they probably wouldn't have had to make if we would have been having this conversation seven months ago. The Cavaliers are not one of those teams because they pretty much already have all their money tied up. Correct. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think the only thing I'm trying to think if the tax even matters. Uh, where it falls, I guess, only matters in the case of Tristan Thompson, and if they want to re-sign Tristan, and like how much wiggle room they will have in terms of the kind of uh, contract they can offer him versus the kind of contract that other teams around the NBA could offer him. Right. But but even that is even that is not much no matter where the tax number comes in, no matter where the salary cap number falls. The bottom line is the Cavs have a decision to make. It's use the full mid-level exception to get outside help at a different position that may be more of a need or try and re-sign Tristan Thompson. It's one or the other. It's not both. That's, you, that's where the tax you, comes into play. And we've, both, we've discussed this Tristan Thompson thing a bunch in regards to, um, you know, it looks like the Cavaliers and Tristan Thompson have, Thompson have mutual interest, and it might be in Tristan's best interest with a weird free agency period to, you know, sign a one-year deal and then re, re-evaluate free agency in the next year. Yeah, nothing has changed on that front. It's, right. it's the same. And I don't think I, – I honestly don't think anything in the next few weeks, any kind of clarity is going to change that either. It's it's the same options are going to be facing him in November after the draft that are currently facing him. Right. So I guess for GMs and NBA teams, it's about just, again, decisions in the – with as you said, financially, and then getting ready for this draft, which is um, – going to be very interesting because you've mentioned the virtual visits and stuff like that. Um, the virtual combine was recently, and you talked to some guys. Any updates on on where these guys are at scouting-wise right now? No, not at this point in time. I think, um, I think the Cavs are in a weird position, Hayden, because they're picking number five. So a lot of these agents are going to control the process from here on out after the right. NBA scouting combine. And then, like, the kind of access that the Cavs get to these guys is going to be up to the agents 
and whether they think it, it makes sense for their client to either work out for the Cavs, uh, send information to the Cavs, and work out, I mean, like, virtually work out for the Cavs, record it, and then send it to them, um, interview with the Cavs virtually, like, that, that because they're fifth, like, they might not get an opportunity when it comes to Wiseman or LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards. You know what I mean? Like, it might be a situation where those agents are saying, no, we're only going to talk and meet with virtually uh, the teams that are drafting in the top three or something right. like that. So I, I think the Cavs are just waiting to see how it plays out, hoping that they get, quote unquote, meet with a lot of these guys, uh, but they may not be able to meet with the top, top guys. And the, those decisions will be, will be made by the NBA by when? I mean, it's not even the NBA that makes those yeah. decisions. It's the agent that makes yeah. their, I mean, after the combine, Hayden, it's going to be in control of the agent up until the draft. And and who knows? Like, if you remember, the, the Cavs were interested in Darius Garland all along. Um, yes. Rich Paul didn't open up an opportunity for teams to go watch him in person until a few days before the NBA draft. So... It could be a situation like that. When the floor shaked and Kobe Altman was so t- t- uh, taken aback by Darius Garland's shooting that he decided to take him. Yeah, so everybody was. Else. John Beeline was, too. John right. Beeline was like, wow, this dude's hitting threes like with ease. That would fit nicely in my two-guard front. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that'll be a little more difficult this year, obviously, but um, they'll navigate a way through, and we will talk a lot about it in the coming weeks. Here's um, another thing, too, to consider, yeah. Hayden. So we know this. The NBA is a copycat league. Yes, it is. Um, now, you can't duplicate everything that these teams are doing. You couldn't duplicate the Golden State Warriors. But but you tried to find pieces, if you were a contending team, you tried to find pieces to combat them better. Um, right. I'm wondering now how teams are going to approach this offseason from that standpoint both in free agency and in the NBA draft. Because here's the thing that we know. The Lakers are going to be here for a long time. As long as LeBron is playing at this level and he has a top five player on his side in AD who's only going to grow and get better because he's going to have more time with LeBron, more time with his teammates, more time in the system of Frank Vogel, and more playoff experience. When you get that first taste the way that AD has – Uh, All of a sudden, you know, those things aren't new to you anymore. You grow from that experience. Um, So the Lakers are going to be around, and that's going to be the team to beat for next year, the year after, as long as those two are together. So I'm wondering if, if teams around the NBA are going to look at the Lakers and say, all right, like if we're going to compete with them, we got to get somebody to deal with AD. Now, that's not an easy answer. That's not an easy find. No, it's but I'm not. curious if that that makes things a little bit different, both in free agency trades and in the draft when it comes to, let's say, James Wiseman from Memphis, Onyeka Kongwu from USC, and then some of these other free agents that, that maybe the market would have been a little bit more chilly in other years because the value of the big guy has gone down. It, it might it might start to go up a little bit more because of the presence of AD and having to find somebody to try and combat him. 
Well, let us not forget the Golden State Warriors. Now, I understand that the Golden State Warriors, you know, were, not, were one of the elite or what delete eight and yep. uh, did not have a good year at all. But Clay Thompson was out. Steph Curry was out for a period of time. I mean, that Draymond Green is still there. You had, you know, James Wiseman, if that's the pick that they make and he ends up being a stud, you could have you could have some competition there. And obviously, I think the, the, the Warriors would need to add maybe even another piece because I don't know if that would be enough. But, yeah. I mean, they, 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 I, I think that people are sleeping on Golden State because they just had such an awful year. But I think they put themselves in a really good position, um, obviously having a very, very good draft pick and having a bad year. It was a good year to have a bad year if you're the Golden yeah. State Warriors. Yeah, it was probably the best thing that happened to them in terms right. of moving forward in their team building process. But you take the you take the Warriors, Hayden, if you want. You you take the Brooklyn Nets with KD and Kyrie and maybe a third star that they're going to go and try and trade for. I'll take LeBron and AD. Yeah. Oh, I will too. I'm not. But I, you're right. I'm just saying, like, there's. It's not going to be only. Um, it's not going to be only the Lakers. I mean, there's going to be some. There's going to be some competition there. Sure. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And that's what I'm saying. A team like the Warriors, does this mean does this mean that James Wiseman becomes more of a priority? Because I think so. that's somebody who could potentially battle with AD in a way that nobody else on that roster can. Unless maybe Draymond Green. They feel like Draymond has had battles with AD in the past when AD was with New Orleans and Draymond did a respectable enough job. Who knows? Maybe they look at it that way. But, but you know, the Lakers... The Lakers' size is a problem for a lot of teams. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. It's going to be a size for – I mean, there again, the NBA just doesn't have size in general the way that it once did. So to have, a player like, to have a player like AD is – I mean, it's it's a perfect fit, and it's, he's he's such a – he's a unicorn, really, unless yep. you look at a guy like maybe Chris Stapps Porzingis. But, I mean, I would take AD over Chris Stapps 10 times out of 10. Of course. He's a one of one. There's no right. doubt about that. And, of course, he's on LeBron's side now. So they've the Lakers have proven themselves to be the team that's going to be have the target on their back for quite a while going forward. And that happens with LeBron's teams. I mean, when has it not been the Cavaliers that have had the, the – or, excuse me, a LeBron team that's had a target on its back or a bullseye on its back? I mean, it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. And it'll continue to be that way. And it should. Um, yeah, especially absolutely. if he plays at this kind of level consistently. Like, that's the other thing when we have these GOAT debates between LeBron and MJ. We're looking at one whose career is done and over with, and we can evaluate it. And we're looking at another guy who he's still going here. He's not done. This is year no, 17. He just finished year 17, and he was even though he wasn't the MVP, he was still the best player in the NBA. Yep. So at, at 35 years 17. old, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And he's going to get, he'll, I, I bet you he'll get to year 20 and still be at this level. That's the other question. Like how much longer can he play at this particular level? Cause everyone's waiting for it to happen where he just like tails off and he's not the same player. I mean, does it have to happen? Like, I mean, sure, it'll happen, but does it have to happen? Like, does it have to be so, like, can it just be so gradual that you barely even notice it? 
can it be like you know just the numbers like every year is a point off or a, an assist off or like so that he's still playing yeah, great right. for his age up until he's 40 or whatever 45 well, that's, that's the thing that i keep looking at hayden i just feel like his game is going to age well yeah because he that's what he's done he's he's consistently done that he has changed his game for what he feels will best suit his body will best suit his team will best suit his longevity i mean you know when when he was struggling he he i remember he you know enlisted hakeem olajuwon to help him to play in the paint and then started shooting threes and his his game does lend well and obviously he still does have athleticism and he still does have that um that natural pop that he that he has that that um the insane ability to get to the rim but I mean, his game can travel, and it's so versatile that he can it can do whatever he wants it to do. Right, right. It's not entirely predicated on one thing, where if that one thing starts to evaporate, even just a little bit, it changes how he goes about things. It's not right. the case. It, it right. is the case with some guys, uh, but it's not the case with him. Like even if he loses a little bit more athleticism, even if he loses a little bit more speed. He's still going to be the best passer in the NBA. He's still right. going to have the best court vision. He's still going to be the best facilitator in the league. And right. that's going to be extremely valuable, especially if he plays alongside a guy like AD who can carry more of the load. Right. I think that's I think that's actually a better question. Is when is he going to when when what is the tilting point between him and Anthony Davis to where he's he hands off the torch? Where is it going to be to where Anthony Davis is the, 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 the bell cow, the, you know, and not the second fiddle? So, look, it wasn't the passing of the torch this year because LeBron was so great and he was runner-up MVP. But, I mean, a little bit of that started to happen this year. Right. This was right. the first time in LeBron's career that his teammate averaged more points per game than he did. Right. It was... It was by a small margin, of course, but, I mean, it was the first time. So you started to see bits and pieces of that transition where LeBron was like, okay, you take more of the scoring load, I'll take more of the initiating load. And he went out and he led the NBA in assists. Yeah. So you saw a little bit of that, not a passing of the torch, but... A, a divvying up of responsibilities in a different kind of way. Yep, absolutely. And again, I, th I guess my point was like, when is it going to completely be okay? Here, here you go. You got to you like, I'll be here and I'm going to help. But like now, it's you. You know, you're a you're a monster, and we got to go run through you. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Well, I mean, I certainly haven't seen signs of of LeBron like slowing down with his game to a point where that needs to happen. You know what I mean? I think I think the only time that that's going to happen, Hayden, is by necessity when LeBron looks at it and says, you know, like now is the time. Uh, this is what's going to be best uh, for my career, for whatever team I'm on, for my teammates. And there's no reason for him to think that way yet. Which is crazy to think about. This is year 17. This is about the time where it's supposed to be happening. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's not for LeBron, though. <laughs> 17 years in, eh, forget it. Maybe we'll, t we'll talk again in another five. <laughs>
when we're 22 years in. Maybe then we'll start to have this conversation. It's just he, the things that he does are, are magnificent, magnificent and truly incredible, like not believable because we've yes. never seen that happen before where yep. guys just continue to elevate and and be great for so long and exceed every expectation. So I yep. can't wait to hear some of the, I can't wait to get some of the feedback from maybe some of the LeBron haters. I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll listen to this pod and uh, give us some feedback and some probably, I can't, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I'm because I just don't know what the arguments will be. Yep. But all right, Chris, anything else from you, man? No, I think that's it, bud. All right. So, we will be throughout the offseason keeping you updated on now we are officially in the offseason. So we'll be keeping you updated on all things Cavaliers. And uh, we definitely think that you should sign up for Chris's subtext account. Uh, it is $3.99 a month to get all of your Cavaliers analysis and insight from Chris straight to your phone before you get it on Twitter. Uh, you get a 14-day free trial. Chris will text you with the updates that he's hearing from the Cavaliers from inside the building every single day or even inside the home offices of some of these individuals because I'm sure not all of them are going to be at the facility every day. Um, but like I said, you can find the number on our cleveland.com Cavs page uh, and on this particular post where you'll be listening to this podcast. It is directly below the uh, podcast player. So go check it out. Again, $3.99 a month for Chris's subtext and a 14-day free trial where you will get all of our Cavaliers insight and analysis from Chris straight to your phone before you see it on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. The 2020 NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers lead us into the 2021 season, which, again, will be very, very different than any other NBA season we've ever had. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking with us through the entire bubble and through this crazy quarantine time. We are looking forward to the 2021 Cavaliers campaign. Take care.